Hi, this is, I'm Jacqueline Hillier and this is the Tantric Lounge. Welcome to the last program of the first series. And here as ever is my co-host, Xavier Watercane. Hello, Xavier. Yes, it's a watershed moment, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed. Okay, but let's get straight into it. Uh, what's, what's the latest on Planet Jacqueline? Well, after last week's episode where we were talking with Grant Suslov about the sex brain, in fact, we were talking about all three brains in the body and postulating the existence of the sex brain as well and what it might be doing. Thinking sexy sexy thoughts, no doubt. Well, more than that, it's about being, actually. Um, I took that um, away to a weekend retreat that I ran with a bunch of beautiful ladies in the gorgeous bush, Australian bush, where we were embodying the seven sex goddesses. And I used that process. And by incorporating the sex brain or the pelvic brain, as well as the head, heart and abdominal brain, it just made the whole thing far more powerful and the women were able to really embody their sexuality and the different elements of that as represented by the seven sex goddesses and affect some serious transformation. Really powerful. Uh, Power is a recurring theme in this program Mm. because a lot of people find sex disempowering, which is odd. Well, it's not odd given our warped history of sex in this society, but yes. It's not ideal. No. The whole point of many of the exercises that we have introduced to the world through this program is to get a greater sense of empowerment. Indeed. Indeed. And in fact, I'm going to use that particular exercise at the end of today's program where we're going to um, use that that sequence of embodying a concept deeply into ourselves so that we can make change in our body. And we're going to do it around today's topic. Which is? Getting to sex. Before play. Before play, yes. I like to call it before play. It's all of the things that happen before you even get to the bedroom, before you're even necessarily thinking about sex. Because another recurring theme of yours is Mm. that sex doesn't just happen. No. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't. You need to create an environment, a physical environment in which it can happen, but you also need to create a psychological, emotional and spiritual environment in which it can happen. Yes. You need to reach for something greater than just body parts and pieces of plastic. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And various liquids. As, as good as those might be, yes. But that's why so often in a long-term relationship the sex dies often gets a bit boring because people aren't focusing on creating the environment, on creating the experience. And I have to say in the work that I do with clients, we talk a lot more about getting to sex than we talk about the actual sex act. Because it, it sex, uh, the way you talk about it, it sounds mm. to me like Chinese cooking. Oh, Yes. Well, the key... I, I hear an analogy. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Another one of my famous analogies. Yes. Chinese cooking, mm. the emphasis is on preparation. You ah. spend hours chopping mm. ingredients, mixing spices, getting mm. everything ready. But mm. once everything is ready, mm. there's the wok, there's the fire, getting up, heating, and then it all gets thrown together. <laughs> and it happens very, very quickly. Yes. Quite unlike Western cooking. Yes. Not that... The two styles of cooking are necessarily mm. opposed, no. not that the two styles of sex are opposed, no. but 
I'm just saying that if mm. you prepare properly, you'll get very sizzling wok sex. Yes, yes. Well, indeed, I also say to use an analogy of my own. Oh, <laughs> you <laughs> You're taking a dose of vitamin X. I have my own analogies too, and I do like to use food analogies. Um, it's like if you want to have a spontaneous meal, right, you want to have a good meal spontaneously, you've got two choices. One is you can either um, you know, go out to dinner <laughs> or... You need to have a well-stocked larder, right? If you've got a kitchen that's got all the ingredients that you need, it's got lots of good equipment and so forth, then you can come home, doesn't matter how tired you are particularly, and you can say, hmm, what have I got? What can I whiz up quickly? Bang, bang, bang. And there you have something wonderful, right? But just as in your analogy that there's a lot of preparation, it's the same thing. You have a well-stocked larder. You don't come home to an empty kitchen and go, oh, wow, I want to spontaneously have a fantastic meal, well, but there's nothing here. Because you can't do it when you're running on empty. Exactly, exactly. And that's what way too many people are trying to do is they're trying to say, hey, you know, let's have great sex or any sex at all. And, and the, the love larder is empty, so to speak. There's a, there's a mentality that people often have is that somehow sex is going to cure mm. the emptiness. Mm-hmm. What yes. you're saying is the quite the opposite, that mm. the emptiness has to be filled up first before the sex can be great, and yes. only then can the sex feed back. Yes, indeed, indeed. And you call this getting the mmm factor. Yes, yes, that's what before play essentially is. It's tuning in to the things that make you go mmm, right? And trying to avoid the things that make you go mmm. Well, ugh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, you know, we've talked before about how female desire and female libido is the slow, the slow simmer, the, the slow rise in the heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sometimes rapid, but generally slow and how you need to keep, you know, her water energy simmering, mm. so to speak. Well, this is a lot of what the before play is about. It's about how do you keep her water simmering so that, you know, as a woman, you're feeling pretty good. You're open to the idea of sex and a little bit of lovemaking. Um, however that might turn out. But I also find for so many men as well, because I think I've mentioned before, at least half the couples I see, the man's got the lower desire than the woman. And often for him too, it's a matter of identifying, well, you know, what actually gets him in the mood for sex as well. Before play then is the general attitude that you have in order to get to that mmm place. And before play is something that happens all the time. Yes. It's not something that's separated from the rest of life. No, just like we can't separate sex from the rest of life. We have the rest of life and then suddenly, you know, oh, we're in bed and how about a bit of sex? No. But, but floor play, you can, you can think of it as like you're constantly giving each other or giving yourself little bundles of yummy quanta of energy. Yeah, it's like you're passing over some nice little bits of yumminess. And when, when you receive that, you feel it, it kind of hits you. It's like, oh, hmm, Okay, nice. so, what, so what do these quanta of yumminess look like? Well, that will depend on you and your partner and your relationship. But some obvious ones are kind words, yeah, loving words, gifts, doing nice things for the other person, paying attention to what the other person is doing for you. Let's get personal. What works for you? What works for me? Uh, I, I'm the kind of person I like. I like people doing things for me, right? Some people there's affective and effective loving and signs of loving. Um, effective is is uh, saying things and touching the person and so forth. Whereas effective is actually doing something, 
right? So for me, yes, it's nice to hear I love you, I love you, you're beautiful, that, that's all great. But, you know, it's just words for me, okay? Prove it. Do something. So <clears throat> if my lover actually does something for me, whether it's buying a gift or building something because he's in the building trade or cooking a nice meal, which he rarely does, unfortunately, <laughs> um, things like that, then I feel, oh, my God, I feel loved. Yeah, and I really feel that, hmm, yes. And that's very, very important in mm. sex because a lot of people separate sex and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They when, it's, when it's important to feel the love before you feel the sex, well, you're going to have to feel the love. Well, it's both. It's not like love energy and sex energy are diametrically opposed things. Ideally, in a relationship, you want the love energy and the sexual energy to be merging together, right? So it's not like, and this is where a lot of people get um, confused. I really dislike it when people say that women need intimacy to want sex and men want sex to feel intimate. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's not about one or the other or one leads to the other. You, you need to have them both happening together so that sex and intimacy are the same thing and they're leading to the same thing. And people aren't necessarily good mm. at delivering these quanta of yumminess. Some of them need more practice than others. Well, they do. And also you need to know what your, partner, what your partner's yumminess is. There's a fantastic book called The Five Love Languages, um, which says that the, the key ways we convey love or feel love is through words of affection, um, touch, physical touch, hugs, kisses, things like that, spending time together doing things for the other person and giving and receiving gifts, right? And if your love language is different to your partner's, then you may not be feeling loved. Not only that, you do make a point in other of your writings mm. that people often um, don't tell, they don't say these things. No. They, don't, they, they, they expect their partners to be mind readers. Yes. And their partner might very sincerely be giving gifts all mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. because that's their love language. Yes. And they wonder why their partner is completely non-responsive mm. when the partner might be the sort of person who says, I need you, to, I, I feel loved when you do things for me yeah. or I feel loved when you tell me you love me. Yes. And that can be very confronting to the partner because the mm. partner might say, I love you and mean it, mm -hmm. but doesn't feel it when the partner is saying, I love you back. Mm. It might be completely mean meaningless at a love level. Yes. Whereas, oh, you did that for me. Oh, I feel loved. I feel cared for. I feel nurtured. It's about feeling nurtured as much as it's about feeling loved. Yeah, absolutely. Feeling that the partner cares for you and that you're relating heart to heart. Right? If you relate heart to heart, then that opens up the sexual energy, allows it to flow. It's a, all this quanta of yumminess, the mm factor mm. before play is really about nurturing the sexuality, nurturing yes. the love simultaneously. Yes, the two go together, right? And that's what a lot of this tantric approach is about, is like identifying that there is sexual energy and there is love energy. And actually the sexual energy is more primal than the love energy, but that you have to tap into both. And certainly in a long-term relationship, if you're not coming from a heart-centered approach with each other, it's not going to be sustainable. And it's very much about the sum of small things. It is the sum of small things. It's also the sum of small neglects. 
So a good relationship is based on the sum of lots of small positives and a bad relationship is generally based on the sum of a lot of small neglects. A lot of people think that it's the big stuff that undermines relationships. No. It's really the small. the small Chinese water torture drip, drip, <laughs> drip mm. of the absence of small yumminess mm-hmm. or the rather acidic wearing mm. down of small mm-hmm. nastiness, mm. which could be neglect. Yes, it often is. It's often complacency, which comes across as neglect. For Taking people. people for granted. They take people for granted. They don't bother being nice to each, any, each other anymore. I'm always constantly astounded at how people who claim to love each other can be so horrible to each other. In fact, one of you, your, in one of your writings you do mention uh, about a couple, a, mm. a, a pair that you saw who had made enormous changes in their relationship when they realised that they weren't being nice, nice to, to each, each other, other anymore. <laughs> yeah. And they had to make a conscious decision mm. to start being nice to each other. Yes. And when they did start being nice to each other, it completely transformed their relationship. But they had to negotiate being nice to each other and it felt awkward and a bit strange in the Initially, beginning. yes. And I have actually noticed this with some couples mm. is that they're in a bad place mm-hmm. and yet getting out of that place feels awkward mm. because they've gotten so used to being in the bad place. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's just com- more comfortable. They become desensitised to the bad place mm. so that even an attempt by one partner or another to make things better looks clumsy, looks forced... Looks forced, that's often the trouble. And then the other partner goes, oh, you don't really mean it. (laughs) And then they say, but I'm trying. Mm. Yeah. Well, they probably wouldn't say I'm trying. They'll probably go off into their old patterns of nastiness and contempt contempt and sarcasm and and so forth. Mm. Mm. It's so easy observing couples interacting (laughs) in in the little hothouse of my consulting rooms. So what's the answer? What's the answer? For them. Oh, well, it depends on each individual. But definitely, I mean, if we're about to release the next couple series of ebooks because you have been editing them. Thank you so much. Only one to go. So hopefully by Christmas we'll have all three available on my website. And the first one in that's called Bonding, and it's got a lot of this stuff about just how you get on okay together. Right? It's very important. You know, pretty basic things like being nice to each other and so forth. Then the next one in the series is called Before Play which is kind of what we're talking about today, although we have got a little bit more into the bonding side of things. And then the third one's called Bonking, which is about the actual sex act itself. So those will be up by Christmas, fingers crossed. Um, So certainly if people read that first one about bonding, they'll learn a lot more about how to relate better. And you can always go and see a professional because that's what we're trained to do to help people get on better. Okay, so let's get down to brass tacks about the before play. Yes. Right from the moment you wake up in the morning, right, assuming you wake up around the same time, the first time you look at your partner in the eye, do you smile at them? <laughs> right? Just a little thing like that. The way you look at your partner first thing in the morning will set up the whole interaction for the rest of the day. Yeah? Yeah, no one wants to wake up with a grouch. No, or, or to be ignored or... Yeah, anything like that. It's just really nice just to look at your partner and smile a little bit. Yeah, or if you don't see each other until breakfast, you know, like just being really sweet to each other and making some nice comments. And when you 
say your goodbye kiss, too many couples get into the peck pattern where they just peck. It's not... It's perfunctory. It's perfunctory. There's no real emotion behind it. And you can give someone a very short kiss. It might only last a second. But if there's feeling behind it, if you look them in the eye, if you actually mean it, then they're going to get that quantum of yummy energy and they're going to go, hmm, nice. A lot of couples end up get falling into the trap of feeling that they don't want to be there anymore mm. or getting the feeling that the partner doesn't want to be with them. Mm. So the simple act of just smiling at mm. your partner in the morning mm. is a very strong message. Yes. I'm glad you're here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's small stuff. I'm, I'm here because I could be anywhere else, but out of all of the possible places I could be, mm. I'm here. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm happy that I'm here. So, yeah, so those kind of tiny little interactions, and these days, you know, we have text messaging and stuff, so you can send your partner a nice little message, depending on what your thing is. You know, for some people, it might be a little bit saucier. They might like saucy messages. Others might like more romantic messages. That's up to you. Neither one nor the other is right or wrong. It's just what works for you. But also very important is that you find some time together, preferably every single day, where you can just chill out together, just spend some quality non-intense, hanging out, just chewing the breeze, shooting the breeze, chewing the fat. Chewing the fat, chewing <laughs> the breeze. Mixing the metaphors. Mixing yes. the metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Just like you did at the beginning. Because quite often what, what couples do when they first get together is they spend an inordinate amount of time just hanging out with each other, doing not very much and really just enjoying each other's company. We're about to go into the break, but Are before we, we do, yes, yes, already, time Gosh. flies. does indeed. When we come back, we'll yes. look at more specific things that people can do yes. in the whole before play. We will indeed, and I think we have some questions too, so we can answer those. If anyone else has some questions, questions at thetantriclounge.com. Right after the break. Indeed. So welcome back to the Tantric Lounge and we're looking at before play, we're looking at how to get to sex in the nicest possible way. Indeed, indeed. So specifically, Jacqueline, then, Mm. what can couples do to create the before play atmosphere? What more can they do? What more can they do? We've already talked about just keep being aware of it during the day and making sure that you're sending each other little positive messages. And it's also about spending some time together. Okay, and that might be sitting out on your balcony, on your veranda, looking at the stars, having a glass of wine or a cup of tea and just shooting the breeze. Look, you might be giving each other a bit of a foot massage at the same time. For some people, it might be doing a jigsaw puzzle together. Yeah, it's often about not being in front of the TV. Okay, because TV, unless it's, unless you're watching TV as a kind of, um, how can I put it, like it's a social activity for the two of you, right? Mm-hmm. You're really getting into it, you're discussing it. Your active participants act- rather than just going into the zone yes, passive. We're yeah. watching a, a television. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's just the worst thing for getting people in the mood, particularly women. It has so. to be so the, the whatever activity you're involved in, it has to be an active activity. It has yes. to be an engaging activity. Engaging. Because sexuality and sex is about engagement. It is. Absolutely. So you're not going to get engagement if you're disengaged. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So whatever gets you to engage with each other, even if you're engaged with an, exter- with an external thing. Mm. Yes. Uh, you can take your dogs for a walk. Like taking your dogs for a walk in the, in the evening can be a lovely way. Or, or taking your baby for a walk in the pram. And because this is the tantric lounge and yes. we're looking at tantra, we're looking yes. at energy as well. We are very We're not much. just necessarily looking at actions. We're not necessarily even looking at words. We're not even looking at, we're not even looking at looks or glances. Mm. It's... if. 
one thing that I guess people can do is simply have the intention and visualizing sending them little packets mm-hmm. of light and love and energy. Yes. So that it's working at an energetic level as well. Absolutely. Now, that might be a bit new age woo-woo for a lot of people. Not if they're listening to the Tantric Lounge. I'm sure they're expecting it to some degree. Nevertheless, mm. why not try it? It can't mm. hurt. You have nothing to lose. Yes. Your partner doesn't even have to know that it's happening. Indeed. Indeed. And a lot of it is about making yourself feel in the right space as well. So even if you're at home and it's the end of the day and you just want to wear casual clothes, well, make sure you wear something that's kind of like makes you feel a bit sexy. That's nice. Go out of your way to look sexy for the other person. And when I say that, I don't mean necessarily dressing up in fishnets and, and lingerie. You know, a lot of people think, oh, to be sexy, I've got to do the porn star thing. No, no, often just looking relaxed, wearing comfortable clothes can be really nice. Maybe a bit of off-the-shoulder thing might be happening, but just because it's a casual thing, it's not because you're forcing it. It's part of this idea of sex becoming a natural expression. And what you're really advocating is that people rediscover the inventiveness mm-hmm. and creativity they had when they were in the wooing stage. Yes. Because a lot of people invest a lot of time and energy and imagination yes. into wooing. Yes. But once the woo has happened, yeah. complacency, complacency sets, in. sets in again. Yeah. And it's actually not that hard to woo. Like the wooing should never stop. You know, how many women have said to me, you know, if their husband has gone out of his way to like just organise dinner or something, whether he's cooked dinner at home or organised a nice nice evening out for the two of them and organised the babysitting as well. Because often the women sort of say, oh, look, if we do anything, I have to organise the whole thing. You know, or even if he organises, you know, the, the dinner, I've then got to organise the kids and get that sorted and the babysitting. It just loses something. There's nothing special there. You're not feeling special because this is in my part about making your partner feel special and unique. Organising is a bit like cleaning the kitchen. Yes, isn't it, it is. Yes. <laughs> and often you need to actually Back to literally, that yeah, mm. you actually literally have to clean it, the kitchen. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's just as simple as some of the things for getting to sexy aren't in themselves sexy, but unless they happen, nothing else is going to happen. Mm, mm. You need priming a canvas with white paint before you actually paint the masterpiece Mm -hmm. is in itself an artistic process. It is. But... Not the most exciting part. No, exactly, and stretching the canvas on a frame is not, but unless you actually do it, Mm. nothing else is going to happen. Yeah. So that's part of the price that we're going to have to all pay collectively Mm. Mm. for a better sex life. Well, indeed, you know, I also say that getting to sex can be like getting to the gym. You know, once you're there, you feel good, but it can be a bit of a pain to get there. You know, you might not really feel like you're really in the mood to go to the gym and you're going to pack your stuff and you've got to blah, 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 blah. and everything else has to be arranged. But, but you get there. You know, any anything good, whether you're organising a, you know, a, a football game with your mates or going out one night or organising a party. I mean, anything good in life requires organising. Yeah, and some work. Yeah, it just does. And, you know, sex and love is no different to that. Here are some questions. Oh, questions, yeah. Yes, received during the week as well as some that pop up now and then, like so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Carla from Sacramento. I think we've got the before play happening. So I do often feel my waters are simmering as we head (laughs) off to the bedroom. Clearly a regular listener to the program. 
but, getting the lingo, lingo right. Yes, but by the time we've done the nightly going to bed routines, brushing mm. teeth, getting changed, <laughs> I've lost mm. any small urge that was there. What can I do about that? That's actually a very pertinent question mm. because it's exactly what we're talking about. Mm. The process of getting to the sexy bit is unsexy. Can be unsexy. And can be yes. unsexy. How, so how do you get from the unsexy mm. priming the canvas, stretching the canvas? <laughs> And now you all of a sudden you feel, oh, I don't feel like painting now. I just, yeah, I'm just too exhausted. I'm just too exhausted. Oh. I've lost the urge. I've lost the urge. Yes. Okay. So it depends a little bit on what you've done beforehand. So a common thing is a couple might have gone out for a nice evening and so forth. They're really enjoying each other's company and they come home and they're sort of feeling yummy and it's all good. But then they've got to, you know, put out the garbage and lock up the house and do this and they've got to get changed and brush their teeth and... Yeah, and then by the time they get to bed, it's sort of it's just gone. They've lost that loving feeling. They've lost that loving feeling. So in that kind of situation, if you've been out, look, just go straight to bed. <laughs> like, forget about Take the garbage out before. Yeah. Do as much as yeah. you can before. Like, just go straight to the bedroom and then take each other's clothes off. And, and don't worry about brushing your teeth. You can do that afterwards, right? And You've both eaten the same things. Well, yeah, exactly. And hopefully you've been kissing a fair bit anyway, so, you know, things are nice and fresh. I'll have a bit of mouthwash or whatever, okay? So you don't have to do all that sort of stuff, particularly if you've been out and you've been having a nice time. In fact, you know, just stop and have a good passion in the car for a while, you know, to kind of keep things going, right, rather than turning back into sort of domestic mode as soon as you hit, hit the house. So there are three really good pieces of advice here for people who yep. might be in the process of losing the loving feeling. Mm. One, mm. the more preparation that you've made beforehand, yes. the less you're going to have to do, so the mm -hmm. less likely you are to get into yes. that. So take out the garbage first, yes. even before you go out to dinner. Yes. Two, mm. make, skip stuff. Just, yes. Just the last few things on the list, you know, yeah. optional. Yeah. Not, not a, just <laughs> yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. And then yes. the stuff that you can't skip, mm. make that erotic. Yes. So if you've got to take your clothes off, take each other's clothes off. Or stand and watch while the other person takes their clothes off. Mm. Yeah. Or you can take your partner's clothes off very, very slowly and kiss each exposed body part as you do it, for instance. If you really, really want to have a shower, beforehand you know some people do prefer that well hey hello <laughs> shower for two or what can be really erotic is to watch your partner showering yeah this is part of it's quite that tantric energetic thing is to pair it all back and if one person is doing something others just standing and watching them right you can build up quite an erotic charge there every time mm. that somebody goes to the trouble mm. of making something erotic that otherwise wouldn't be erotic, mm -hmm. it heightens your sense of what erotic is. It broadens yes. your sense of what erotic is. Yes. And if you do this often enough, mm -hmm. the whole of life can become one long erotic adventure. Mm. Yes, you can start seeing it in everything, right? So, for instance, like let's... This is where sensuality blends with sexuality. Absolutely, absolutely. So, for instance, if you're brushing your teeth right that's not a very erotic kind of an act but if you have a beautiful bathroom for a start then you're surrounded by something rather lovely okay i mean i have a very gorgeous erotic bathroom it's essential if your partner's brushing their, their teeth say he's got his top off and you're watching his muscles move in the back of his you know in his back while he brushes his teeth that can be quite erotic yeah but it's often very subtle 
And this approach to sexuality is also about tuning in more and more to the subtle and the sensual and finding, as you were just saying, the erotic in things that you might not normally find erotic. And one could argue that Mm. our entire civilization, Mm. part of its problem is Mm. it has lost subtlety. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all of um, advertising and all this sort of stuff, it's all about, you know, bigger flavors and bigger sizes and more this and more Even in entertainment, you see this in shows like X Mm. Factor. It's just everything is like a circus. Yeah. Everything is over the... It's, uh, it's over. The volume is really cranked yeah. up, the colours. Yes. It's as if you're constantly being blasted mm. into feeling something. Yes. Whereas a lot of Tantra is about, whoa. Oh, yeah, turn it down. Just turn it down, yeah. shut off all the electronic equipment yes. and get in tune with the subtleties of life. Which yes. brings us to Rob from Aberdeen. Oh, My Rob. wife is addicted to her phone. Yes. It frustrates oh, me so much yes. that I go and play on my computer and lose. That I go. And, so you actually, <laughs> this is funny. It frustrates me so much that I go and play on my computer, <laughs> and there's all interest in sex, yes. which frustrates her. <laughs> I've tried explaining about her phone, but then she accuses me of being a computer addict. We can't win. Mm. Indeed. And look, it's funny. And I don't mean to laugh at you, um, Jim, but Rob. Rob. Sorry, Rob of Aberdeen. Rob, who feels robbed. Yes. I'm only laughing because it's so sad, but so frequent. And look, I must confess I have problems with my phone as well because this is the thing. You know, not only is there too much intensity, there's also too much availability and too much choice. And it's so easy to get sucked into all these things that are on your phone or on your computer and that completely cuts the connection with your partner. All these bright, shiny things demanding your attention, all these machines going. Yes. Yes. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, it was to our advantage when we were evolving to be able to be distracted by things like that. Curiosity is actually partly what enabled us to develop and be successful as humans. But it's got to the point where we're so oversaturated and overprovided with things that it just gets in the way. It's like people who are on sugary diet, who get yes. too much sugar in their diet, they mm, lose too their much ca- caffeine. or too mm. much caffeine, lose their capacity to appreciate sweet flavours. Oh, well, yes, yes. It, it's a desensitisation. It's too much yeah. caffeine. Yes. You end up needing five cups of coffee because your nervous system has changed yeah. because it's being flooded with this stimulant yeah. all the time and the mm. nervous system doesn't want to be stimulated all the time. No, no, and it really affects the receptors on all of our neurons where they get flooded and they start dying off and you crave more. It's the whole addictive pattern which has become so part of modern-day life. And people have stopped feeling, they've stopped being sensitive to subtlety. And, and this and this problem is further exacerbated because there are huge individual differences between mm. the, the the base level of stimulation that somebody requires. Mm. I personally am a very low stimulus kind of person mm. and I feel very easily overwhelmed mm-hmm. by too much. Mm. And I think that might be the problem with one of our re, uh, listeners, Donald from Cape Town. Mm. Um, is my wife's libido ever going to match mine? Mm-hmm. Love making always depends on her. I'm pretty much always up for it, so mm. when we do it, it, it is when she's up for it. Mm. Fortunately, that's frequent enough, but I'm curious about whether we'll ever likely be, to become the same. Mm. I suspect that Donald might be suffering a little bit from overwhelm. Do you think that's possible, or do you think there's something else happening there? Oh, look, I suspect it's probably just um, as is normal in all couples. There's always going to be a lower desire partner and a higher desire partner for everything, not just sex, you know. Visiting the in-laws, taking the garbage out, 
that, mm. you know, learning Spanish, you know, <laughs> for your trip to South America. You know, there's always going to be someone who's more enthusiastic for something because they have more innate interest or because, you know, they're not too tired to do it or whatever it happens to be, okay? So do you think that he, because his libido is higher mm. than his wife that will his wife ever match his libido or is he overwhelming her? Yes, well, he could be overwhelming her. And, and often what will turn off, and we've discussed this in other programs, sure. what turns off a woman's desire is too much intensity coming from, from her partner. Um, but um, certainly if you focus on the before play side of things, what that tends to do is not only does it increase the lower desire partner's desire and interest, it can also help the higher desire partner manage their desire more. So if, if the higher desire partner has quite an urgent libido, right, generally he or, or she will find that if they're relating in this lovely positive way, that they're more satisfied and there isn't that urgency. I often find that the higher desire partner has only has that sort of intensity or that urgency if they're not getting any intimacy at all. And then they start becoming really needy of it, which then turns the lower desire partner off further and we have these terrible problems. So without knowing more, it's difficult to know whether or not the problem is an absence of intimacy that's mm. leading to this higher desire level mm -hmm. or not, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But there's always going to be a higher desire partner. There just is. I mean, I even look at my own life. I've had three major, well, I've had four major relationships. The first time was we were teenagers, so we just kind of did it whenever we could never figured out who did or didn't have the high desire. In my first major relationship, I had much higher desire. My partner really wasn't into sex much at all, you know, and, and we were young in our 20s. So, you know, I thought that didn't realise that that wasn't normal. My second one, I was pretty even on the whole, you know, varied a bit because we were having kids and things. In my current one, I'm definitely the lower desire partner. You know, and sometimes funny, I sometimes stomp my feet and say, I will not be the lower desire partner, I'm a sex expert. But the fact is I am. I just am, and it's something that we need to work with. There is a sort of bush remedy for this. And oh, often, is there? Yes, well, well I have heard. Really? You yeah. become a millionaire, billionaire if you've got No, no, well, no, the highest sex de desire partner can do some self-pleasuring beforehand, get oh. the urgency out of the way. Yes, that can work, but not always. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. And I really leave it to the experts. Yeah, I'm, that just, that I'm, just, uh, I'm just saying what people, some people might be thinking. Well, yeah, but one thing that I will say, that, but that's definitely true, like just because you want sex doesn't mean that your partner has to provide you with it. You know, we do have two hands and ten fingers and we are quite capable and plenty of gadgets available these days too. We are quite capable of uh, satisfying ourselves if we have an overwhelming sexual urge, right? And if we're going to be having partnered sex, ideally you want it to be a mutually desired thing that comes from this space of love and desire that we're talking about creating through the before play. But that can very much be a Band-Aid solution. Well, that's not going to solve a... The underlying... It's not going to solve a problem if, if a couple don't know how to get the lower desire partner in the mood or if they're relating in a way that is going to make the lower desire partner have even lower desire. Mm. Mm. We'll get more deeply into this after the break. Oh, another yes, break. Yes, yes, another Gosh, break. it does go so quickly. Yes, it does go so quickly. We have a few more questions and then we'll go into the exercise. The exercise, For yes. this half, for this um, session. Okay, mm. after the break. Okay. Welcome back to the Tantric Lounge and we're discussing before play. 
getting to sex. Getting to sex. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure whether we actually answered the earlier question, Rob, from Aberdeen because about the w- wife with the phone addiction. No, we didn't. We sort of got a bit distracted with lower and higher desires. Yes. So yeah. at the end of the day, what mm. can you do with people who have uh, addictions to the electronic ultra super hyper connected age? Yes. Well, firstly, you need to acknowledge that it is an issue for you as a couple. Right, and that can that can be hard. So you need to really use your your good communication practices so that it doesn't seem like accusing and so forth. And you know, like for instance, Rob's wife might say, "Yes, well, you've got a computer addiction." He needs to say, "Well, look, you might you probably got there's some truth in that, and I own up to that, and I'm really willing to stop using the computer, but I'd really like." Like, like if you could try to use the phone less as well and then start looking at ways that you can support each other to not engage in those destructive behaviours, yeah? And it might be sort of things like we won't have any uh, any technology in the bedroom. It's a really nice one. Leave the, leave the phone outside the bedroom. You need to establish a contract. Yeah, you need to be really clear. Just like if you're trying to do anything different, whether you lose weight or not drink as much or get to the gym, it's kind of like you need to agree that this is an important thing to do and then support each other and put some structures into your life to help you be able to do it. I think it's ironic that we're using an electronic medium to criticise electronic media, (laughs) but it's not all bad. As Sam and Phil from Port Macquarie, we subscribe Mm. to your blog and now listen to your radio show together. That's become part of our before play. We listen (laughs) and read together and then we discuss it. It's great for bonding. We're getting more comfortable and better at talking about sex and we're learning a lot more about ourselves and our sexuality. It's great. Mm. So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Definitely not. I mean, like anything good in life, it's great, but too much of it can be bad. Mm. And especially since there are going to be ways of sexually engaging with the phone or with the computer. Yes, yes. That are going to get people Mm. in the mood. Yes, but that's very different from being on Facebook for two hours. Mm. Yeah. And using it as a substitute for intimacy. Well, yeah, and just yeah, being distracted and not present with your partner. Because so much of what Tantra is is about being present. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you like Facebook, fine. Do a bit of Facebook. But, but don't expect it to be... Yeah. It's going to get in the way of other things. Yeah, and if you want to have a beautiful love life and that's getting in the way, then you need to acknowledge, well, this is getting in the way, just as so many other things can get in the way. Tina from Gosford. Oh, I have local. a I have a boudoir. We were talking a few shows ago about your boudoir and I was so inspired. I grabbed my husband and we spent the last few weekends shopping and decorating. Mm -hmm. Now we have the most beautiful space to chill out and make love in. You're right. Just having a beautiful environment gets me in the mood. It's also been a lovely project for the two of us, Mm -hmm. which I think fits in with your concept of before play. It does indeed. It's so nice for a couple to have joint projects and Joint projects around their love and intimacy. Which is a really important point because Mm. so often people take it upon themselves. They're going to solve the problem. We have a problem, but I'm going to solve it. So I'm going to impose a solution upon my partner, which doesn't help because the partner needs to be consulted. To be involved, yes. Well, and the other thing that a lot of people do is, yes, we have a problem, but you're the cause of the problem, so you need to go and fix it. It's got nothing to do with me. Off you go. I see a lot of clients like that. Their partners have sent them to me to be fixed. And then they won't engage in the process because there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. So you get it both ways. But ideally, you need to do what um, what Tina. Tina has done. And, you know, with her partner, with her husband, has said, hey, let's have a beautiful boudoir. 
Okay. Would, so once you get, but then that can create possibly another problem, What's which is that? the in, which is the negotiating if you have different tastes. Ah, yes. Because what if somebody likes dark colours and the other one likes light colours? What if mm. one, what if one likes lots of light in a, in the boudoir and yes. one likes a lot of darkness? <laughs> do you see what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Well, you can get one likes music, one likes silence. How do you how do you absolutely. solve that one? Absolutely, and that's the beauty of relationship. Right? <laughs> right, okay. It is because one thing that relationship does for you is that it, if you want to have a good quality relationship that enables you to grow, right, then you have to learn to be able to communicate and negotiate and be able to hear the other person's point of view and be able to present your point of view without feeling you need to dominate or succumb or anything like that without any power games. And that way, whether you're talking about decorating the bedroom or where you're going on a holiday or what you're going to do sexually, because you're going to have different sexual tastes as well. One thing, one distinction I think that might be mm. a useful one is mm -hmm. that there are things that you can live with. Yes. There's this, this, this thing, in, there's this space in the middle of it. Mm. You know, this doesn't do anything for me, but it obviously does something for you. Yes. So let's do it because at least it isn't a major turnoff for me. Yes. Yes. So you can have a lot of negotiating space within that. Mm. It doesn't mean that just because you find something interesting that I have to find something interesting or vice versa. Absolutely. I think, though, the problems mm. might come where somebody has a really strong turn on mm. that happens to be a really strong turn off yes. for the other. Yes. How do you get out of that one? Well, that is, that's tricky. That's, that's tricky. tricky. And that, that is definitely compromise. And it may just be that you have to go, okay, I get it. I don't want you to feel disgusted. You're like, for instance, I can't stand peanut butter. I think I've mentioned that before. This yes. will probably shock the American listeners that there's someone on the planet who doesn't like peanut butter. Jelly or no jelly? That's me. Mm -hmm. Can't stand it. Now, you know, if my partner really liked peanut butter. And has a fantasy about smearing it all over <laughs> you and licking it off. You're trying not to vomit, right? I'm trying really hard not to vomit. But, you know, that's just not going to work for me, you know, and it's just really he just needs to be able to go, I really don't want to upset her to that extent. And if I tried to suppress my abhorrence, I would probably just vomit and then we'd have peanut butter and vomit all over the bed. You might have to modify the fantasy to taramasolata. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but that's a lovely example because it might be like, Okay, what is it about smearing peanut butter all over my body that turns you on so much, right? And it might be that it's not the peanut butter so much, it's the smearing, right? Or it could be so the creaminess. So we can find something else to smear. Or it could be the texture of the peanut butter. Crunchy which, or smooth. In which case, you know, if it was sort of like macadamia nut butter, I'd be okay because I don't have a problem with macadamia nut butter. I'm not all that fond of it to eat or almond yes that would be fine as well so you see yes. in this hypothetical example where yes. you and your partner and he's got the <laughs> peanut butter fetish <laughs> and you don't and you're actually turned off to this. because it's an important because yes. it's an important point it's it's oh. how do people negotiate mm. and then you need to go to a deeper level yes. it's not about the peanuts it's about the texture or whatever it is it, yes yes it could, be, it could be any yeah mm. but it's not but you don't have to fixate on one particular thing no very few people are so hardwired mm. in their fixations mm. that they're not going to be able to negotiate from peanut butter to almond butter so yes. to speak yes and if you want to decorate your you know your boudoir and you want to have it painted in bright pink and your husband's kind of going i can't possibly live in a bright pink boudoir right rather than going well you know 
what's wrong? Don't you love me? Or whatever might come up for you. Or you've got no taste anyway. How would you know? Right? Then you need to start exploring why is it that you want to have bright pink walls? What does bright pink do for you? And what else could do the same thing? Yes. And it might be that you have a bright pink, you know, duvet cover or some cushions, or you might find a nice painting that has pink in it or something, and you might be able, you know, and he might sort of go, look, I've got nothing against pink, I just don't want that much pink. Fair enough. Yeah, but if he's saying, I want blue, and you're saying, I want pink, and, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. You need to get deeper as to what is a, what does blue do for you, what does pink do for you. You know, maybe we could get blue and pink striped wallpaper. And, and, these, and these thoughts hmm. might result from a greater level of intelligence, mm-hmm. which might result from getting more in touch with your sex brain. Yes. So let's talk about getting in touch with the sex brain yes. and an exercise for people to do that mm. so that their thoughts will take them into a more productive space. Absolutely. And, in fact, it might be for you. So what I'm going to do in this exercise is I want you to focus on the concept of before play and what makes you go, hmm, Now, you may have in mind at the moment, like you might be thinking about your bedroom because we've been talking about it, or you might be thinking about things you like to smear on your partner because that's what we've been talking about too. All right, so I want you to think about things that make you go, "Mm," things that that you like, things that turn you on, things that enhance your desire. And we're going to go through a process where we take it into, we take it, we start in your heart, we take it to the head brain, and then the head brain, you're going to be thinking about it right, coming up with new ideas. Then we take it into the heart brain and that's going to allow you new ways of relating. Then we're going to take it down into the abdominal or the gut brain and that's going to enable you new ways of behaving. And then based on these discussions and the work I've been doing with with Grant Soslow, we're taking it down into the pelvis, down into the sex brain. And that's about new ways of being. So that's the really fundamental because I believe based on the tantric traditions and so forth that down in the pelvis, around our sexual brain, the lower chakra areas that is very much about being okay so let's get ourselves ready and as ever i would like you to start focusing on your breathing so make sure you're in a comfortable space and of course if you are driving or something don't do this right now just get into a comfortable position and focus on your breathing focusing on the feeling of the air going in through your nostrils and out through your nostrils. Focusing on the rise of your belly as you breathe in and the fall of your belly as you're breathing out. All right. Now, ideally, you want to be doing this for a few minutes before we get into the exercise. So if you listen to this again, make sure you've done some breathing first, just like we did in the first episode of this series. Okay, now I want you to bring your awareness to your heart. And I want you to think about what makes you go, mmm. Right? Just have that concept of what makes me go, mmm. Whether it's a specific thing or just a general question that you want to put to yourself. What makes me go, mmm. Now, as you're feeling that, an image might come to mind. Just allow that image to arise spontaneously. And it might come with a colour as well. What kind of colour is associated with that sense of mmm? Now allow that colour to rise up from your chest into your brain, into your head, and to float around in your head for a while. And while it's there, while you continue with your breathing and the calmness, just allow new ways of 
thinking to emerge. That's what our head brain's good for, just allow new ways of thinking, new perceptions around this concept of what makes me go, mm. okay? And stay there for a couple of minutes. I am unfortunately going to have to go through this fairly quickly due to the time constraints. But ideally, you want to leave it there for a few minutes. What makes me go, mm, what can I think about this? Now, bring that and bring the new thoughts, bring the color and any other sensations back into your heart area, into your chest. And allow it to just sit there. And you'll come up with new ways of relating new ways of relating to yourself and new ways of relating to your partner and potentially other people in your life as well that enable you to get more in tune with what makes you go, mmm. And once you've done that, you can bring it down into the abdominal, allowing your gut brain to give you some idea around what are some new behaviours. And this is so important. What are the behaviours that will allow you to feel more of the mmm factor. So allowing all of these sensations and colors and so forth to swirl in your abdomen. And from there, bring it down into your pelvis, deep into your pelvis, allowing it all to pull down in your pelvis, feeling it pulsate there, vibrate, becoming very much part of your being. So now your whole being is aligned with this concept of what makes you go, mmm. And you've got the thoughts, you've got the relating, you've got the behaviors, and now it's very much grounded in your being. And from then, you allow all of those thoughts and feelings to flow back into your heart. And you take a moment to just stay there with that feeling and allow all of that just to resonate together. And when you're ready, you come back, you open up your eyes again, and you might then want to just spend some time writing down, reflecting on the colours, the messages, the images, the new ways of thinking, relating, behaving and being that have come up you from that, from that exercise. And this is the beauty of having these uh, radio shows recorded. Yes. Um, so people will be able to refer back to that. At any time. What's on for next year? Well, yes, we're having a summer break because it is summertime in Australia and everyone takes holidays. So next year we'll be back and I think that series, first series we're going to have next year is actually going to be about these seven sex goddesses. Okay. Yeah. Different. Which is just as relevant to men as women. So. Yes, well, there are seven sex gods as well. Okay. So that's going to be pretty exciting and we're going to have a lot more guests next year too, I think, because it's been quite fun. Okay, so we'll hopefully do all of that next year. It'd be great. Yes, so happy festive season to everybody and thank you, Xavier, for being a wonderful co-host over the last 13 weeks. It's been, my it's been a pleasure. It's been a fabulous pleasure. <laughs> thank you to everybody. Thank you all. See you in 2014.